Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Josh Milligan, and this week I'm joined by my friend Corey Bauman, which this time I think I finally said that right. Yep, you got it right, man. <laughs> got it right this time. Um, and we're going to be talking about Corey's upcoming draw hunt and some self-filming techniques he wants to document everything he's doing. So I'm pretty fired up. This is totally off the cuff. We decided to do this like, I don't know, an hour and a half ago. So I'm pretty fired up to do this. We're totally unprepared. And I know that's what's going to make it great. So yep. without further ado, let's roll the intro. This is the Filming with Josh podcast. Brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. All right. Before we dive into the podcast, I just want to mention the Filming with Josh Facebook group. If you're not yet a member of the Filming with Josh group, hop on to Facebook and type in Filming with Josh, and there you will find more tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Um, we've got a great community that's just thriving and growing constantly, and we're trying to put as much information on there as possible. So be sure to join that group. There's also on my website, rusticriver.media or rusticrivermedia.com. Both work. If you go there, I now have a new Filming with Josh tab where you can click on and find all my latest uh, YouTube vlogs as well as um, the uh, the podcast will be on there, and you can find all my blogs on there as well. So be sure to check that out. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, a couple weeks, I guess. I've been super swamped. I've had so much going on, but I'm really fired up to finally be able to dive back in and be joined by my friend, Corey. We've been chatting <laughs> a lot lately um, oh. on the Voxer app, and uh, yeah. it's like, we should, we should just do a podcast. Cause I know. We, you were joking. You were like, we should just record this Voxer. I know. If anybody I knows know. what Voxer is, it's like walkie-talkie. It's like, it's dangerous. <laughs> It but, is dangerous. Uh, and Corey, I, I'm super excited to have you on today. I, for those of you who have missed the previous podcast that Corey was on, Corey attended the Filming with Josh, or I guess it wasn't the Filming with Josh, it was just the Rustic River Media Outdoor Film School, the 2019 film school. Corey yeah. and uh, our, our friend Dave joined the film school, and we had a podcast not too long ago, actually, where mm -hmm. we chatted about the film school. And if you've but if you did miss that podcast, Corey, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell those who didn't listen to that podcast who you are and kind of what you do. Yeah, sure, man. Well, I feel like that podcast was, I feel like the film school was like ages ago. I feel I like know. so much has happened since then. It but, was really uh, only, it was back in May, right? Yeah. It really yeah. wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it's gotten a lot hotter since then. Oh my much. gosh, dude. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Well, we'll talk about your day today a little bit, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, so uh, let's see. Where do I start? So... Uh, so I currently live in North Dallas, North Texas, and I'm about an hour south of the Oklahoma border, but, uh, I was born and raised in, on the East coast in Pennsylvania. So <laughs> uh, nobody cares. Yeah. It's been a different, it's been a different, um, uh, how do I say a different experience, but all good, man. All good. In fact, um, so good that my in-laws are probably not the happiest and my, my parents aren't the happiest that we took their granddaughter away from them about two years ago, but, but they fly out here and visit a lot. And yeah, man. So, um, I'm glad to be in Texas and, uh, we've really made it our home. Um, I, um, uh, do a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats, but my main role, uh, career wise is I, um, run, uh, operations for a company called master networks. We're a national networking and training organization for local business. 
Uh, let's see, co-founder and co-owner of Breaking Dawn Films, which is a video production company. And then we also... Which is not the same production company that made the Twilight <laughs> series. No, it's We're going to say that every single time. I know, I know. It's, it's far from that. Let's just say that. And uh, it was interesting when we were looking for domains, what we found, right? But, uh, but yeah, oh, no. but we did find one that was open, believe it or not. Um, so we saw it, snatched it right up. And then we also, so Dave and I, Dave Ashworth, who was on the podcast last time, him and I uh, started an organization called Rooted Outdoors. That's a nonprofit. And um, we film, I think our main thing right now with that is we film youth hunts. So we do a turkey hunt every year and we film our hunts. And it's just a way for us to uh, share our love for Christ with others through the outdoors and the outdoor experience. And, and um, you know, we do some speaking. So we did um, a couple game dinners last year. We're looking to do a few more this year and uh, just starting to really find our groove with that. Honestly, um, it's just a place for us to really give back and um, introduce others to the outdoors, man. That's super cool. Yeah, I so we met we met through Dave and actually I don't I think we I think our initial time meeting was actually on a rooted outdoors podcast. It was. It was actually the first time I ever talked to you. Yep. Didn't know you from Adam. <laughs> yep. <that's laughs> We've become pretty good friends since then. And yeah. Uh, in fact we actually just got dinner last week when I was on the way home from doing a, a shoot for a deer breeder. But man, I, I'm super stoked to have you in Texas, man. I, I think you were in Pennsylvania when we did your Rooted Outdoors podcast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure I was. Yeah, that was probably, so that would have been, I think it was the beginning of 17 and we moved the end of 17. So it was that year, but it was the beginning for sure. Yeah. And you know, the one good thing about you is at least you came from Pennsylvania, not California, like most of my neighbors have. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. There's a lot of, I tell people, it's funny, you know, people from the East Coast, like you have this perception of what other state is, you know, and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, does everybody have an accent? Does everybody wear a cowboy hat? Does everybody have cowboy boots? And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a very transient area of, of the state. Uh, if you know Dallas at all, like North Dallas, I mean, like you said, a lot of California, especially your area too, California, and Pennsylvania and other states. Uh, and so you don't, I mean, you have definitely people that have lived here all their lives, but you don't run into that nearly as much as you think you would, you know? No. Okay. So when I went to South Africa, they were like, Oh, this Texas, you guys still wear six shooters and have tumbleweeds and things. <laughs> and they were being so serious. And I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, you're, you're no, like that's not Texas at all. But then like flash forward, like three years later, my, my, uh, wife's cousins were flying in to Lubbock this past, <laughs> this past <laughs> year. Yeah. And if you've never been to West Texas yet, I don't know if you've been there yet, but there that's no. literally all West Texas is. And one of her, one of her cousins, his wife had never been to Texas. And her first experience was a little tiny town called post Texas has like 500 people lives there uh -huh. and there's nothing but tumbleweeds. And she like, literally we chased one down the highway and caught it for her so that she could have a tumbleweed from Texas. I don't know. It's the stupidest thing. It's hilarious. Well, yeah, those things can be dangerous though, right? Like I've heard stories that tumbleweeds it, like can cause car accidents and stuff, right? Like, I mean, they, get I, they can, dude. Yeah. And there's dust storms everywhere. People riding around on horses with guns on their sides. And I'm like, gosh, this, you know, I tell these people in South Africa that tax, Texas is not really like this, but then you go to West Texas and it still is like that. That's hilarious. I've heard, so I have a friend that actually is from Lubbock uh, and, uh, and he said like one of the most 
one of the coolest things, one of the things that it's well known for, I think is the cotton, right? So like cotton uh-huh. fields out there. So like during cotton season, like you'll see 24 hours a day. So like one in the morning, if you drive through there, you just see combine headlights because yeah. they're, they're just working constantly to get the, get the, the cotton. Like that's their livelihood, you know? So it's really cool though. Texas is a really cool, I saw a funny, um, funny picture the other day on social media and it was Texas and it had literally like five other States inside of it. And one of them was Pennsylvania and they turned (laughs) Pennsylvania on its end and they put it basically from Oklahoma all the way down to pretty much where you live. That's the size of Pennsylvania. it's it's crazy man that's so crazy yeah texas is so big but every time i go to alaska they always make fun of me because it's you know texas i don't know if you've learned this yet Corey, but you will (laughs) we are a proud state oh yeah i like we are though we are like like the proudest state there is and i am i will own that because i love that yeah then i go to alaska and they're like every (laughs) they say oh everything's bigger than texas huh yeah we could fit like 18 of you guys in our state (laughs) yeah yeah on the grand scheme of things right Alaska yeah. is enormous. It's like the that life lesson. No matter how you good good you are at things, there's always someone bigger and better out there. <laughs> yeah, that's true, buddy. So, to go ahead and I guess jumpstart this conversation, man. Um, you and I are both hunters. We love to hunt. Um, filming with Josh I, is all about cameras and gear and filming techniques. But the the core of my filming career got started around hunting and filming hunts and self-filming really. And, um, that's, that's where my passion came from was filming my own hunts and, and it launched my career and ended up getting where I am today because of that. And you are doing something that is so, it's so awesome because I, I just think back to how I used to film hunts myself, my own hunts and I don't do it anymore. And I wish I did. And now I look at you and this awesome hunt you have coming up mm-hmm. that you're going to get to document. And so I'm really excited to, to chat with you about that. Cause it kind of takes me back to my, when I got started. So tell me, tell us about this hunt you have coming up and kind of what you're planning to do with it. I mean, I feel bad. I feel like I've told you this, like I'm rubbing it in or something. I've told you the story like eight times. <laughs> oh, you are rubbing it in and you know you're rubbing it in. So, I mean, look, I'm, I'm completely pumped because um, a little background, you know, growing up on the East Coast, like I've hunted a, po- a lot of public land like growing up. I've had small patches of private. Uh, Dave and I have been blessed over the last, uh, about four years ago. So he married into private property in Pennsylvania and we have a 200 acre farm basically to ourselves that we have and we can manage and it is just it's a whitetail heaven uh and you know I like I grew up on public land so I to be honest like over a 30-year period of hunting archery I have I have two deer on the wall one is again we talked about this the other day about scoring deer and stuff like I scored it because it was a great public land deer in Pennsylvania. And it was, I think we scored it at 125, which is a big deer for public land, Pennsylvania. Like it just is. And the other one is just the first rifle deer I ever shot. And it's nothing like it's probably a, not even a two year old buck. Right. Um, so we get this property and there's giants on this property. Like there, there just is. And so it's been a really cool thing and a cool experience. So I, I finally in a place where, you know, you have an opportunity to, to shoot, a wall hanger, like a lifetime deer, you know, and a mature deer. And then I moved to Texas and then it's like, man, now I'm in Texas and I learn a new property again. And in Texas, you know this, but if you're listening to this, you're not in Texas. 
everything is fenced and everything is a lease. Yep. I shouldn't say everything, but there's a lot of it is. Um, and now expensive leases. Expensive, like like five thousand, six thousand dollars, and you're there with you know how many other guys? Like, like forty. For I've seen like that. forty guys. Like seriously, forty. It's insane. <laughs> if you want to be like an exclusive person, you're paying like twenty plus thousand dollars a lease a gun on a on a four or five man lease where I live, which is just yeah. I mean, that's crazy, dude. It, it's nuts, man. It is. And the one thing I did learn though when I came out here is that it's not at like, so it is a lot of lease, but there is a lot of public and you know that just because of your background. In fact, you and I have been talking about doing a hunt this year together on a, a huge feature piece of public. And so last year I just went out and I started scouting public and I'm like, you know, I may not see a deer this year. And in fact, that was pretty much the case. I ended up seeing two deer. I saw a doe that I bumped. And that same day I rattled in a buck on like December sixth or something like that i didn't get a shot and he went me and he, he took off and that was on public up towards like lake texoma but it was really cool like learning a new area it's just it's not flat like people think it's well it's dead flat like out west maybe it is well actually no it's there's you know mountains and stuff out there too but like it's not flat it's just different terrain and so you have to learn different terrain so i go through that that last year and then this year I was talking to guys and I find out about this, this place called the Hagerman. It's a national uh, wildlife refuge. And literally they don't really hunt it. It's all draw hunts. It's not even on next year. It will be, it's not even on the Texas draw system. So you and I just went through and applied for a bunch of hunts, but this one's not even on it next year. It will be, it's this like exclusive place that they might get, you know, they might get like 2000 guys that apply that know about it. Right. Cause it's not publicized. And, um, so I'm like, heck, I'll just apply. It's like 40 minutes for me. So I'm like, I'll just apply for this hunt. Like I'll never get it. I've only been a resident for a year and they do preference points just like they do in like the Midwest or somewhere else. And when you know it, I get drawn for this hunt and it's like, there's 240 guys and they split it up over three different hunt, three different weekends. So I'll be hunting basically like 11,000 or 12,000 acres with 80 other people and they rotate them. So the hunts like November 1st, 2nd, 3rd. And that's like, then there's another weekend where they hunt three days and then another weekend where they hunt three days. Well, there's six days or I'm sorry, there's nine days out of the whole entire year where there's anybody in there hunting whitetails. So as you can imagine, there's some old deer in there. I mean, they shot like a nine-year-old deer, deer a couple of years ago. Um, the state record for Texas, believe it or not, um, up until I think, the end of the nineties was held in the Hagerman. So I did not know that. Deer. Yeah. I found that out from, um, actually, uh, um, one of the instructors, I found out that I've been kind of talking to him back and forth and he's been giving me some good insight, but like it's thick, it's swampy. It's, it's by the lake. Like it's just completely different than anything I've ever been in, but it's going to be this really, really cool opportunity. So <laughs> I'm pretty pumped, man. I'm so jealous, man. And I want to be like, you know, it's not fair because you just moved to Texas and you got drawn <laughs> for that your first time. However, I was talking to my friend about you and this the other day. Um, it, I mean, it is fair because I've never applied for it and kudos to you, man. Like, that's awesome that you came here, found out about it and applied for it and got drawn your first time. It, that just shows your dedication for wanting to find some places to hunt in Texas. I think Texas gets a really bad rap about public land hunting but I actually used to work for Texas Parks and Wildlife as an intern biologist. And I can tell you, man, there's some amazing 
public lands in Texas. I mean, if you could see some, well, you have seen some of the sheds mm-hmm. I've found. It's just, it's incredible. You just have to be willing to put the time in to find out where they are and apply for the hunts and things yeah. like that. So, man, that's pretty awesome that you did that. I will say, so I went and checked out the Hagerman um, mm-hmm. last week because I was up in the area working on a job and man, it is <laughs> one wild piece of property, super swampy, just like East Texas where um, I went to college and, and hunted for a long time. Um, I definitely could see how um, deer could get really big in there because it's super thick, lots of air, lots of cover, lots of places to hide, lots of vegetation. Um, it looks like it's going to be pretty challenging. Have you started figuring out logistically how you're going to pull this thing off? Yeah. I mean, I've, um, well, (laughs) I guess you can say I have, but like, you don't know really until you, you know, until you really kind of dive in. Now I, I, I've been, so I've been boots on the ground, I guess three times. Um, and I'm documenting, we'll talk about the documentation, but I'm documenting that piece. And I decided to do more of like a journal style where I'll go in and I, you know, I'll document that day so that I can also look back on it later and go, wow, I remember like August 18th, dude, when it was 105 degrees. Um, and you were in there sweating, looking for deer sign. Like, and that's kind of what it's been like. It's, it's really like all three, there's three management units and all three are a little bit different um, as far as terrain and stuff. Um, so mainly you know, right now I'm looking for, I'm trying to get a feel for it by just being boots on the ground. I'm looking for obviously food source and, um, you know, bedding area. I'm honestly, my main goal right now is to bump deer because I want to see where the deer are. I just don't know. Um, and I've had, I've had some success doing that already. And, um, just kind of looking for, for, cause everything's going to change. I mean, it's November 1st, right? So everything's going to look different too. Oh, like yeah. It's going to be a lot more open. So I'm not putting a lot of weight on that per se. Like I'm looking more at the terrain as far as like edges and um, where the, where the terrain changes, looking for different areas where the deer naturally even go, no matter what the time of the year is. Um, and then also a lot of it is thick anyway, like thick as thick as far as not um, canopy, but thick as far as like, the trees are close together and no matter what time of the year it is, there's going to be deer bedding there. Um, so it's tough, man. It's a lot of property and there's the way I'm approaching it is there's one unit that's huge where from all the inside I've been getting is where most of the people go. And like you and I were talking about this the other day, actually, well, a little while ago and you were like, dude, everybody thinks they have to go deep, but that's not necessarily the case. There's big deer out on the outskirts too. Um, and so I've been kind of really focusing more on the smaller two units, um, because even the smaller two units are huge, you know, like I did a loop on the, on the smallest unit and it was five miles. On a loop. <laughs> that's the smallest unit. So that's still Crazy. big. Yeah. Know? It's still big. It's not small. Yeah. So I'm, I've been out there, man, but, um, it's, it's, it's really just, it's just different for me. Like I've never had a big piece of property like this. that You have to gather all this information by a certain time. I mean, essentially I had all of August, September, October. So you have three months and really like the way I look at it, the way I'm going to approach it is I'm not gathering info in October anymore. Like I'm done by August, by October 1st. If I do go into it, I'll probably have, you know, four or five different spots. I want to hunt in case I have to move around over those three days, but I'm not putting I'm not really putting scent down and stuff in October in those areas. Um, I kind of know where I'm going to be already. Um, by 
my goal is hopefully by the end of September to have those spots nailed um, and kind of know where the deer are going to be and then maybe pop in once in October just to kind of get a feel for things. But that's about it. And so I really only have from now until the end of September in my mind to really go in deep and look at, you know, look at different things. Yeah. You know, the challenging thing about that. So when I, when I first moved to college, and this is so much smaller than the Hagerman. When I first moved to college, I had never really had a lot of public land where I grew up to hunt. But when I moved to college in East Texas, there's a lot of public land around me. And one particular area was called the Alizan Bayou wildlife management area. That's actually where I interned. I loved it so much that I applied for an intern biologist position there and got it two years in a row. Incredible piece of property, but it was only a little over 2000 acres. And that to me felt overwhelming. <laughs> and it was only 2000 acres, which is still a lot, but compared to what, where you're hunting, it's minuscule. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's like the back 40, you know? <laughs> yeah. But 2000, Massive. yeah, 2000 acres felt overwhelming and it took me a while to kind of figure out how to scout something like that. Yeah. Um, and I was always looking for field edges. And one of the things that I really, I loved, cause there's so many, there were so many places where there were big deer. It wasn't like, Oh, just go to the <laughs> bottom lands because there could also be deers, deer and the more upland areas. There could be deer, good deer, um, just pretty much anywhere. And I've, I've seen huge bucks right outside the main office when everyone was out hunting deep. I, I think I've told you that. And I I've seen deer like right by the trucks. Like I remember dad and I, one time we went out and we hunted, we didn't see any deer all day and we come back and there's literally fresh deer <laughs> tracks, like walking. Beside, it's like they smelled the truck. It's like, are you, are you yeah. kidding me? They knew, they knew. I swear, I swear to you, they knew. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But I think what I've learned is like, you don't, it's almost, even though it feels overwhelming, it's almost like you can, you can pick a plan and hunt it a million different ways and still stumble across a really great deer. And that's, yep. that's the great thing about a well-managed public unit. Yep. And I'm, I, to that point too, that's kind of where my mind is too. Like, I know that, I mean, it's very possible that I find amazing sign where there's a bunch of rubs and like I can identify a couple buck beds and stuff like that. Like that's possible, but mm -hmm. I'm also going, being realistic and going, it's so much land that I may end up just hunting like, um, going with your gut sometimes I think is important too. And like, I know this, there's like things and you know, you've been hunting for a long time. Like there's certain times where you walk a property or you walk a section of a property and just feel, like something feels right about it. And it could be deer trails. It could be sign. Like I know a lot of it is still fenced. So there's a lot of barbed wire fence and stuff. And I found this break in the fence that might be 10 feet wide, but there's not another break for a quarter of a mile. And yeah, deer are going to jump a fence, but deer's not going to jump a fence if he doesn't have to. And the exactly. opening's right at a corner. It's an inside corner, comes out of a field, and it, and it comes down from an elevated uh, piece of timber. Nice. So it goes into a creek bottom. So oh, I know man. the deer are going through there. Yeah. And my look, like I know November 1st, 2nd, 3rd is not the rut in Texas. However, you still could potentially get cruising deer or deer that are searching at that time of the year. And I just feel like if you're sitting there, you're, you know, you're an all day sit or whatever. There's a good chance you're going to see something at some point. I don't know. But so I agree with you, right? Yeah. You know, so the biggest thing I learned, this is, it's kind of weird because it's not, it's not exactly a scouting technique, but, and I know we're not really talking about filming yet, but we'll get there. Yeah. But one of the, <laughs> uh, one of the craziest things I ever learned from, from uh, hunting public land was my first like three years of 
hunting archery only public land was I, I took it so seriously. I cared so much. I, I scouted so hard. I was constantly just being careful, wearing all the scent clothes, spraying all my, you know, everything down, being ultra careful how quiet I was getting in and out in the morning. And if anything went wrong, I would just get furious and I would just get so mad. A guy walked by my stand. Oh my gosh, the whole day's ruined. Or uh, go hunting with my dad and he cracks too many twigs on the way to the stand and I get so mad because I put all this time and effort in. And so for like three years, I had no luck public land hunting and I was just defeated because I put more time and effort in than anybody else I knew. But then my fourth year of going into public land hunting, I remember opening weekend and I just, I like on my way there, I, I prayed about it and I was like, God, help me remember why I love hunting. Mm. Help me not to overthink it. Help me not to worry about every little thing. Cause I was starting to get so aggravated that I, I was like losing my, my, my enjoyment. I was like, just help me remember why I love hunting and help me just go out here and have a no care attitude, no matter what happens and just trust my gut, hang my stand in a place that I think looks pretty good and, and just roll with it no matter what. And so opening weekend, I found this spot that I, I had known about, but had never hunted. Um, cause it was too close to where people were walking by, but I said, you know what? Forget about it. I'm here to have fun. I'm going to hang a stand in this Oak tree out that I can, where I can see a, where, uh, I could see a lot and I'm just going to hang my stand there. And if anybody walks by, I'm just going to let it be what it will be. And sure enough, someone came walking by and I didn't say a word. I don't even think they saw me. Um, and then I ended up finally shooting my first public land deer. And it was all, and I genuinely believe, I believe two things. I believe one, it was because I just let go and just, I had fun. I think I started noticing more because I wasn't so serious about it. I hunted a spot that I normally wouldn't have because I was, I know I thought no one would ever hunt there, but I just hunted there anyway. And then number three is I truly, I know it sounds silly, but I truly think God kind of rewarded me for just like relaxing and just appreciating it. And uh, so like, I don't, I, I know it sounds like a weird piece of advice, but like going into this hunt, man, like from my experience of public land hunting, just have fun. Don't take it too serious. You know, do put in your work, find a spot. Like you just mentioned that looks good. Trust your gut, hang a stand there. If someone walks by you, maybe they'll bump a deer your way. You have yep. no idea and just relax and have a good time. And, and, uh, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Yeah, man, that's not silly at all. That's not silly at all. In fact, like, as hunters, I think many of us do this, you, you create this vision in your head and you constantly, um, I'm a pretty big visual person. So like, if I'm going to go do something, I visualize it over and over and over again. Um, and the one thing I've been visualizing, which is to, to your point, and, and I think years ago, like maybe, you know, 10, even 15 years ago, that I'd be visualizing killing a deer, like a giant buck. But actually what I'm visualizing and I'm really looking forward the most is thinking of the work that I've put in and literally watching the sunrise that first morning and being in the stand, like, and not, not necessarily even visualizing the kill of a deer because that could happen or whatever. Maybe it doesn't. That's fine too. But like putting in all the work, you're finally there. You hang the bow up, right? Camera's ready to go, dude. And the sun comes up and there's nothing like that. There and isn't, and isn't that what you named breaking dawn? Y'all named breaking dawn films yep. after that moment. It's true, man. It's true. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's so true. Cause that's, I mean, that's what you work for is just to be there. I mean, the kill is just, I mean, that's just the reward at the end, but I mean, it's all about the experience getting to that reward. I mean, that's what hunting is. Otherwise you just pay and go shoot a deer somewhere. Yeah. You know, 
And so like, yeah, man, I'm excited for you. This is going to be an awesome, awesome experience. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the filming side. So you, you mentioned earlier, and I've been following you doing this online. I love the documentary style you're doing. Yeah. It, it's not like you're not trying to go out there and be super sexy with the camera or anything. I mean, it's real, <laughs> it's raw, and yeah. you are just, you're just documenting what you're doing. And now you're going to have all of this stuff that you can use in a, in a film later if you want to. Or you, or if nothing else, you're kind of creating um, a story as you go over a period of time and do what's inspired you to do that. Well, I mean, honestly, I think I battled. Um, in fact, I might even message you. I know I was messaging Dave about it. I was really struggling a little bit with it because like I'm, you know, I'm always going to be a hunter first. Like that's just always going to be like, I love to film and stuff, but I've been filming for five or six years, six years, I guess now but I was always a hunter first. And so the camera is usually going to come second and this is going to be a self-filmed hunt. So it makes it very difficult for me. And I actually looked at it two ways. I go, man, this is a once in a lifetime hunt. Do I want to worry about having a camera in the tree? Like, do I want to have that distraction and have to worry about it? But it's a once in a lifetime hunt. Like, dude, you got to document it because I can't take you with me. I can't take Dave with me. That was one of the things you can't take somebody with you. So, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think I would kick myself if I didn't document it. Um, but I'm also, and I think hopefully, well, maybe you won't agree, but I think I'm also at the place where I'm not going to let the camera get in the way. Like if I can't get the shot, like I'm going to kill the deer, like I'm going to kill the deer. And if I don't get the shot, it is what it is. Um, I'll document what I can and that's it. Um, but I did decide to document it. And I think the journal style is going to be better suited for what you like the most important thing I think is that it's not going to be sexy. Um, of course I'll edit it and you know, I'll edit it the best I can, but I'm not putting a ton of time into that, honestly, just because, um, it's more about just, I think the documentation piece too allows me to kind of educate someone else that might have a similar hunt. Mm -hmm. So hopefully somebody can learn something from what I've learned or made a mistake doing or whatever. And that's, I think being completely transparent about the journey is the thing. And then you don't have to like overthink, like, I'm going to get this shot today. Like I get this shot today because I'm creating this, you know, sexy cinematic film. And then you'll um, end up just like not doing it because then it's just yeah, too much. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually takes a lot of weight off too. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to keep it simple. You know, Jim Shockey, I don't know if you've ever seen Uncharted before. Mm-hmm. Um, I per- like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have outdoor TV anymore. So I don't know if that show's even still around. Yeah. I don't know but I really liked the uncharted show. I know some people didn't like it cause they said it was so it, they couldn't relate to it because he was hunting in places like Pakistan and stuff. Um, maybe I like it cause I can relate to it a little bit cause I've actually been to some of the same places he's been like the place in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. But it, one of the main reasons I liked it though was all the, it was really well produced. His son Braylon killed it. But one of the things I really liked was he would always take this, little video camera and it had infrared in it and he would film himself at night and then during the day obviously he wouldn't use the infrared but he would just hold it out in front of him with the screen flipped around and it's a camera you probably could have bought it at best buy or something but he would just everything else was shot on like a red and a, and yep. a, and a handful of, of, of dslr cameras but he's holding this camera in front of him and just documenting stuff off of it as he's going yep. and they're cutting that with all these higher end cameras and it worked so 
freaking well yeah because it, it was it was just incredible it's like you have this really great production mixed with the real raw story and that to me like that i mean that just that killed it i yep. love that so much and to 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 a degree that's kind of what you're doing yeah yeah i mean you know and please comment on on any of this that i'm saying obviously you add your expertise into it because you have much more experience but i think my thought process on it too is you still you're still gonna focus on having good light and exposing a shot right and using the right white balance which we just ended up talking about like not overcomplicating shooting an s log like i'm not going to do that i'm gonna shoot in cine 4 or something something a little bit more manageable when i'm out there but like i'm still going to focus on the basic things so that you get good stuff it's just I'm not going to worry about setting shots up that much and things like that a little bit here and there. Um, but really focus on the hunt and then just the cameras along for the ride type of thing, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Cause I, I think if you, it's kind of goes back to that story. Actually, I was telling you a little while ago about my public land experience. If you, if you stress too much, if you almost try too hard and then you take away your enjoyment of it, you'll end up ruining your hunt and you don't want to do that. No. So like that's, that kind of brings me to an interesting point. A lot of people have asked on the filming with Josh page or have sent me personal messages that have found me on the filming with Josh page and have said, you know, what, you know, what, uh, what's the best mirrorless camera or best lens or things like that for self filming. And I, even though I'm a video producer by trade and I run FS seven and a seven R three, a seven three and all this other jazz, I still tell them time and time again, video camera, bro. Yep. Like a video camera. Like if I was self-filming today, despite the hundred plus thousand dollar worth of gear I got sitting <laughs> in my closet, I would still buy some sort of HD video camera with a good zoom that had at least a couple channels of audio in it. And that's what I would take. Maybe, yep. maybe I would take a DSLR mirrorless camera and a couple lenses for something small and lightweight like a GH5 that I could throw in my bag and pull out just to get some prettier stuff if I had the time. But man, I'm there. If I'm self-filming, I want to have fun. I want to enjoy the experience and then document the hunt because at the end of the day, content is keen. And if you capture the, the, the shot on camera and the story and documenting it the way you are, that is far more important yeah. than not getting an animal, hating your hunt and just, but having a few cinematic looking shots, you know? Yeah. Dude, I couldn't agree more. And that's kind of we one of the things that we were talking about, right? Is so when I when we started filming, we had a Sony X one hundred camcorder, that little camcorder. And we had, you know, there's a bunch of versions of that. You know, we had we had a pretty basic one. It shoots in 4K, built in ND filters, like good. It was a good camera. Like it shot some good stuff. Um, in fact, the 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 buck that I was telling you about earlier that that I shot in public land, Dave happened to be there and it was filmed. Some of it was filmed on that and some of it was filmed on a Canon DSLR. But like, um, I, when you self filming, you're right, dude, when you have the screen that flips out and flips front and like you, you know, the camera's next to you. So you, it's easy to see what, what you're looking at. Like now it's like, you got to mess around with ND filters. Cause I, now I have Sony mirrorless. I've got to have a monitor. We talked about a remote. Like all these things you got to, you got to take into gotta account. Rent a now. lens or find Dude, the gotta, right one. I got to rent a, a lens that I don't have. Like <laughs> that's, it's tricky, man. It's tricky. And and I also don't want to, you know, I don't want to like to, to your point earlier, keeping it simple. I don't want to worry about taking it a million things into the woods with me either. No, you don't man. I want to be light. I mean, cause I could end up 
I mean, I don't know, but I could end up hiking in a couple miles, literally. Yeah, you, you could. So when I got my start in filming, I was filming my own hunt and I had an AX2000 video camera, which is a fairly big size professional video camera. It costs like two, $3,000, something like that. Um, back in, back then it was used on like 40 or 50% of outdoor TV shows. It's still a nice camera, but it was not, it was a video camera though. I mean, it wasn't an interchangeable lens, big sensor, high end camera. It was just a video camera, but it worked really well. And I would take that out in the field with me in my backpack and a tree arm and I'd hike out, climb a tree, put the tree arm on. Um, sometimes I'd leave the tree arm if I knew I was going to be coming back and just like cover it with a rain cover or something. But I'd just climb up the tree, slip that camera in the tree arm, turn on my wireless mic, yep. and that was it. I was ready to go. And yep. I, I captured my first year of self-filming, I captured three bow kills on camera um, self-filming. And it was so easy. I didn't even think about it. I just followed the deer coming in, you know, got made sure the camera was on the deer, drew back, shot him grabbed the camera, got them going out of frame. That was it, man. Yeah. And I, I have all those hunts on camera now. Um, I put together a really cool little promo film, ended up landing my first um, professional outdoor job because of that. And all of that came because I, I still had a nice camera. I mean, it's still a two dollars $3,000 camera, yeah. but it was way simpler than the my production equipment I run today. And yeah. I, I enjoyed my experience. I got my hunts on camera and, and it was awesome. And so I think like, for anyone who's looking to self-film their hunts, like I think there's beauty in the simplicity. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll figure it out, you know, and I'm sure you'll help, help me a lot too, because <laughs> this would be the first. So last year I actually still had the, the AX 100 camcorder. So this will be the first year self-filming with, um, with a mirrorless Sony. So like, yeah, it's just a lot more to it. A lot more stuff you got to hook up in the tree. So my plan really is just to have my um, A7S body and then a GoPro for a second angle. Like that's literally going to be my setup, I think. Yeah, so. that's a pretty good setup. That's kind of what I, when I was using the video camera, when I was self-filming back then, I uh, I would always run like a GoPro and 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 uh, the video camera. And it worked out really good. Uh, and I'd, I'd still do that today. Um, I actually, last year, I don't really self-film anymore because um, – I mean, I do this for a living. So when I'm out hunting, I just, I'm there to hunt, you know, yeah. I don't want to yeah. take cameras. I take like a photo camera and that's about it. But I do still take a GoPro and I at least just turn it on and, you know, like just capture some stuff for fun. But, um, but if I was, uh, if I was self-filming the way you're doing it is, is not a bad way to go. One, one question I have for you is we, we kind of chatted a little bit about your lens option yeah. um, or lenses. I don't know if you're planning on typically multiple lenses or one lens, but kind of walk me through what your thoughts are and what you're going to use for your A7S. Well, so we'll go back to the, the remote question, right? So I'd asked you about a remote cause I need to get a remote. Well, my thoughts were as I'm going to get a remote and then um, I'm looking at the Tamron 2875, I believe it is just to pick up that lens to have for kind of an everyday lens and other stuff. And, you know, my, I wasn't thinking like I can pick up a remote, but the remote's not going to control zoom on it. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it's got to have a stop and that's about it. That's it. Right. So mm -hmm. then you were like, well, no, you're going to need, you know, again, this gets so complicated. Like, you're <laughs> going to need this lens and that lens. So you had pointed out two lenses. So what I'll, I'll probably end up, so I have a 50 now. Um, I'll end up having that Tamron lens, um, by then, but then 
um, I'll rent. Um, I don't even have it right in front of me what that lens was, but there was two lenses you recommended. I'll probably rent the, um, was it a 18 to, I, I don't remember. 18 to 200, I believe. 18 to 200, I think yeah, it was. I think that's what it is. Um, yeah, it has a power zoom in it. It's not the it's not the greatest lens in the world, but the reason why I recommend it is it's small, lightweight, compact, big zoom range, power zoom capabilities, yeah. perfect for what you're doing. Yeah, um, you don't need to have a three thousand dollar lens in there with a limited zoom range just so you can have great low light performance, great and great glass. Um, yeah. I think you just need something that can get the job done. The one thing the one thing I do like though, like um, about having a, a mirrorless camera in, instead of having, you know, a camcorder style is that, um, is for the photo aspect of it too. Cause I'm going to document that piece too. And so having, you know, that, um, whatever lens, a mid grade Tamron lens or something to get good photos while I'm in the tree and around and wherever else that's important to me too, where honestly, I just didn't really think about it cause I didn't have a camera that really shot photos. And now that I have it and you know, we talk about this a lot. Sometimes I'm out there and I'm like completely focused on photos and I even think about video, you know, so I'm a little bit more into photos now than I ever was. <clears throat> yeah. So I get that. Cause when I was self filming, I, even though I use the video camera, like I talked about and a GoPro, I still always packed, um, back then I had an a 99, um, it wasn't a DSLR. They're called SLTs. It's kind of a weird thing Sony used to make before they went mirrorless. Mm -hmm. I had an A99 and a couple lenses I'd throw in my backpack. And uh, that way I could take photos because like you, I really wanted to take pictures while I was out there. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'm, dude, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to get out there. And um, the other thing too is like the weather, you know, if you if you're listening to this, you've never self-filmed. There's so many different things <laughs> that can affect self-filming. Weather is a big one, right? Like yeah. it just is, man. To keep, especially if you're out there all day, to keep everything dry and it's, you know, man. Have you been a lot to Alaska? So like you, you I, oh, I have no idea what it's like that. But to keep your stuff dry and clean and everything else, man. Three weeks of pure heck. Yeah. <laughs> brutal but you're going back again soon right yeah i'm going back it's like my fifth time or fourth time or something like that i don't know why i keep going back this time it should be so really, too. yeah i was gonna say it should be really warm that time of the year oh, when yeah going? november yeah it's gonna be great it's gonna be Dude. so cozy i'm gonna i'm gonna find a hibernating brown bear and cuddle up with them just for warmth dude uh, you know on an honest question though now that we're talking about this what are some of the things that you do to kind of keep your gear dry you know whether you're in Alaska or not in Alaska, you're eventually going to encounter some sort of weather, right? When you're out there. So, yeah. So it, it, first off, it depends on the place I'm going. Um, nine times out of 10, when I'm filming, when I'm out filming, um, like an outdoor hunting or fishing show, I'm typically taking, I have, um, it's a LaPro Whistler backpack that I really, really like. Um, Dave has one. Mm -hmm. There are two. Um, I, I got them to buy one. They're, they're legit. And I put yep. the rain cover on it and that's usually sufficient. But if I'm going somewhere like Alaska where like last, when I was in Alaska this past spring, three weeks of nothing but rain all day long, every day, constantly raining. Um, for a trip like that, I rain covers won't hold um, eventually. Cause I've done that. My first trip to Alaska, my second trip to Alaska in the springtime where it rained for three weeks. I had, um, 
I tried, I had to end up putting two rain covers on top of my backpack, stacking them, and it still got through. Because after hours and hours of raining, it's just, I mean, there's only so much it can take, right? Yeah, yeah. So I found this company called Miga, Migo, Miga, Migas, Migo, something like that. Type in Migo, Miga, something like that. Backpacks on Google and you'll you'll find it. And this brand, they make these 100% waterproof backpacks. Um, mm. Anyone who's ever been to the East Coast has probably seen seen these never eat soggy waffles west coast who's <laughs> ever been to the west coast <laughs> probably, i can't believe i just did that on the podcast <laughs> anybody who's ever been to the west coast Dude. probably <laughs> you, you knew we weren't going to be prepared you knew something was bound to happen sooner or later oh, yeah. and i'm sure that's just the first one of it yeah. <laughs> you've probably seen these roll up waterproof bags that everyone carries and you put your clothes in them or whatever and rain water they float like nothing can get in well migo or miga whatever that camera brand backpack brand is took that concept and of these roll up waterproof bags and turn them into camera bags and it's not the roomiest bag i've ever had it's some things about it aren't my favorite and but it is a hundred percent waterproof backpack and you can throw it out on the ocean and it will float it's amazing. Wow. wow. So I, I take it with, I bought that a few years ago and I took it with me this past spring to Alaska. Dude, it, it pounded me all day, every day for yeah. three weeks and not a drop of water got in my backpack. Nothing got wet. Hmm. Perfect, perfect bag for stuff like that. And the one thing I like about it is because since it is a little bit of a smaller bag, it forced me to, to take less, which I actually appreciated in the end because, um, my backpack didn't weigh a million pounds. I yeah. think it's something that, you know, if you're not careful, if you're bringing video equipment on a, on a hunt or anything yeah. or, or photo equipment, you could easily overload. Ugh. I've been known to do that time and time again. And then you hate yourself when you're out there, but this backpack, because it's not overly big, it, it allowed me to carry just what I needed and keep it completely dry. Another thing I do is um, for my FS seven, I really like uh, polar brace. I think it's polar brace. Mm. Um, they make really great um, porta brace. I'm actually looking at the bag behind me. Porta brace brace makes these really great custom rain covers for specific cameras. Hmm. So I run their FS7 one, um, but for cameras like you're running the A7S Gen One, any mirrorless or DSLR camera, I like to use a, a rain cover called uh, Lens Coat. Lens Coat makes these rain covers for mirrorless or DSLR cameras. They come in small, medium, and large. I typically run mediums or larges. And you just slip it on over your lens and over your camera. And if it's pouring, you could cinch them tight so sideways rain doesn't get in. Or if it's not pouring but it's just coming down straight, you can uncinch it and you can still be able to film and have the rain just roll right off your camera. That's what I take when I'm in Alaska shooting photos like this past spring. And I, I basically, nothing got in my backpack and no water got on my camera and I could shoot photos all day long no matter what the weather conditions were. Wow, that's, so that's great. Yeah, that's how I deal with that. And then for cold weather stuff, um, especially with mirrorless or DSLR cameras, the batteries die so fast yeah. in cold yeah. weather. When I was in Pakistan, I took 30 batteries with me. <laughs> Because I knew I was going to need them. Number well, because one, because the Sony batteries are so good. Yeah, well, they're great now, and the newer. No, they're good now. Yeah, yeah. When I had mine aren't. Bodies, yeah, yours. Like, they're horrible. So I took thirty batteries with me because I knew a I may not be able to find time to charge it too often, and b when we went to the Himalaya Mountains, 
and it was like sub zero, like they're not going to last. And no. they did not like, go outside with a brand oh, new battery, man. pop it in the camera, 10%. What? <laughs> you, I can't film with 10%. So I found that putting batteries in my pant pockets, not like if you have like uh, hunting pants, not the cargo part, cause that yep. will cut it. You actually got to stick it in your front pocket. So it's right next to your leg. And when I did that, none of my batteries lost, at least not a, not to my knowledge, they didn't lose any battery power. And so the, cause of the leg, my legs warmth kept my batteries warm. So if uh, like in November, if for some reason when you're doing the Hagerman hunt and it happens to be really cold, take your Sony batteries and pop them in your, in your uh, pant pocket and, and you'll be good. But I wonder, if, I wonder if pocket warmers would work for that. Like I wonder if you could use, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Hot hands or something and like put them in your pockets and I wonder if that would help. It, it's quite, it's quite possible. I will say when I was in Alaska this past, this past spring slash, it was like early spring. So it's still pretty cold. It snowed quite a bit. I did not have to put my newer Sony batteries in my pant pockets. Now I don't know in zero degrees, like I was in, when I was in Pakistan, if it yeah. would have zapped them or not, but I will say in like upper 20s my the newer sony batteries didn't seem to, to lose any battery power really fast mm. um so maybe that's not as big of a deal today but for anyone who's running the older generation of sony cameras you might want to at, at the very least put them in your pants pockets or maybe try try the hand warmer maybe that'll work do you um so actually while we're talking about this i'll ask you this too so obviously batteries that becomes an issue battery power what are some of the what are some of the effects that really, really cold weather has on the actual camera operation itself that you've found? Um, I found no, I found no issues. Um, okay. I think, I do think when I was in Canada two years ago and it was November, mid November, it was horribly cold. It was like negative 10, negative 12 during oh, the day. Yeah. It was, it was pretty freaking brutal. I did find that my A7S Mark two started to, um, just, it was just a little slower. That's it. Slower meaning like if Shutter. you press menu, it might take a second longer for to pull up the menu than it normally would it still function perfectly, perfectly fine though. Um, I didn't, I've never had a Sony camera crap out of me in any condition. I've had them overheat. Um, especially mm -hmm. if I'm filming outside in the Texas heat, as you know, it gets super yeah. hot here. But outside of that, I've never really had problems with them. Um, we've never had rain affect them. Cold weather's never, other than slowing them down just a hair, they've never really affected them. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Good. Appreciate that, man. That's something I was thinking about because it, like you said, it can, can be any temperature, especially that time of the year. It could be, I know, uh, I think it was like three years ago, I was talking to somebody and their, their hunt three years ago at the Hagerman um, it was really, really cold, like teens cold, um, for that time of the year, you know, it was teens cold and it was raining <laughs> at some point. Right. Like, well, I don't well, know. Hold up, there was hold one. How is it teens cold and raining? I guess it wouldn't be teens cold and raining. Maybe I'm Maybe confusing two years. I know there was one year where one year where I saw a video and I actually connected with the guy and there was snow on the ground. So maybe I'm confusing the two years because you're right. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't make sense, would it? You Pennsylvania person. If of all people, you should know that. Well, teens wouldn't be like I. I mean, I've experienced a lot of hunting. You know, hunting in December in Pennsylvania where it's teens or less, like zero. You know, so. Although I do want to say one thing though. So you've lived in Texas how long now? Uh, since end of 2017. So. Okay. 
I don't know. I can't remember what our last couple winters have been like. Um, but normally I, I tell people this and they don't believe me until they go to <laughs> North, North Texas where you live, which is where uh-huh. I'm from. It is so cold there. I don't know what it is. It's the damp air, man. Well, I guess I do know what it is. It's that damp air. I have been colder in low 20s Texas than I've ever been in Canada in the wintertime because it is so stinking humidly cold. Like that damp cold just cuts through your clothes, man. I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced that coming from Pennsylvania where obviously the temps are a lot lower, but – I've personally, I've, I've noticed like a duck hunts where I've just like wanted to go home and just go back to bed because it's miserable. Yeah, it's cold, man. I remember the first year it was colder on Christmas Day. It was colder in North Texas than it was back home in Pennsylvania. That's colder. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, and nobody believed me. And I'm like, no, it, it is. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it, man, it gets cold. I mean, they definitely get, you know, they're one or two ice storms or a little bit of snow here and there. I remember we actually first year we here, we had uh, snow flurries because my daughter was, so she was three and a half, she was four. She's turned four. Right. So she was like running around the backyard in the snow flurries and there was a little bit of snow on the ground and we were FaceTiming our family back home and stuff and they were getting, getting a kick out of that. So That's we had snow and they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny, man. Yep. Well, um, so when it comes to, um, you doing this Hagerman hunt. I had a question. You said, do you still have your AX 100? No, I wish I did. <laughs> I was going to ask you why you weren't going to use that for this. No, we sold it. I sold it. I should say uh, bad timing. Yeah, no, no, I would, I would use it hundred percent. I would use it. I would. Yeah. Cause I was, I was like, man, now that we're, you know, we're talking through this together. Maybe you should, maybe you should bust <laughs> that thing out for the hunt. Maybe we should rent one. Maybe you should so rent you one, man. Money. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, but kind of not. <laughs> Might be a lot easier. One thing I do want to say before I forget, cause I meant to say this earlier when you were asking me about, um, the Sony cameras and the weather, mm-hmm. one thing I will say to keep an eye on if it does rain or anything on the hot shoe on top of your camera, make sure you have the cover. It co- yep. Sony cameras come with that cover. Yep. Keep that in there because I've seen that corrode on people before. In fact, my FS7 got a little damp and um, I had some corrosion in it. I, I was able to clean it out, but that's not uh, something you want to have to do. So that is the one thing I would do is keep it covered. I appreciate that. Yeah, I have I usually have a cover on that thing all the time, even when I'm in here. In yeah. The house. So. yeah I, I always have my cover because then I always, I'm so used to having the cover on that if I look down and it's not there, I instantly know, you know? Yeah. That's just yeah, kind of sure. that, that habit. So when you, um, when you do put this together, what do you plan on doing with it? The film? Yeah. Or the, I mean, I'll, my plan right now really is just, just keep documenting it and then maybe um, go back and just make a longer, you know, a longer. I, I think, so the tough part, I think, is going back to um, kind of the real raw footage and then being able to go, well, I have a bunch of raw footage you know, that I could potentially put something together, but I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really thought through that piece. I think my goal really is just to document the whole thing. And, um, of course, you know, the days of the hunt, those will be longer ones, you know, naturally, probably, um, certainly if I end up killing a deer, that's going to be a longer one. So maybe those days, like the actual days of the hunt, I might turn into something, you know, maybe the three days, um, I'll turn into something a little bit more than just a, a vlog, right? Like 
an update type of thing, you know, to be a little bit different. Um, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'm open to ideas and suggestions as you know, I, I just, the main thing I just want to focus on is just not overcomplicating it. Like you said, and overthinking yeah. it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'd be open to suggestions for sure. Yeah. I don't know. That's a tough one. Like, so you and I recently, it's a lot easier when there's multiple people. So like you and me and my friend Hayden recently applied for some uh, hunts together. Yeah. I think Hayden and I applied for 35 public land hunts. <laughs> Dude. Go big or go home. The crazy thing you, is, what if you end like up getting like 25? We talked about that. I was like, you know, gonna it's going to be our luck. We're either not going to get anything or we're going to get like 25 hunts. And we're not going to know which ones to go. You're going to end up, dude, you better be careful, man. You're newly married, pretty newly married. You better not, you better watch yourself. <laughs> no, man, it's going to be bad. And then, and then like to like I, today I confirmed that I'm going to be filming a meal dare hunt on November 22nd through 27th. Yep. And I remember a couple of the dates <laughs> yep. that I applied for following that. <laughs> I was like, please, if I get drawn for something, if it's something crazy and it's like an amazing hunt and it falls on that date, I'm going to contract someone to go film that meal. For me. <laughs> That's terrible. That's I know it is. Yeah. I'm going to tell my client, I don't blame hey, you. you know, you'll, you'll be all right. I'll find someone good. <laughs> Dude, you but, know, I was thinking of the other day, you'll, you'll laugh at this rate. So, and I didn't apply to nearly as many, but like I have the dates kind of in my head and stuff. And my wife's like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this in January. And I'm whispering cause she's probably out there, but like, she's like, I'm thinking about doing this in January and I'm thinking about doing this. And in my head, I'm going, I mean, I can't say no, but if I get drawn, then what? <laughs> with my way out. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> oh, just gotta, that's kind of what I'm doing with Andy is be like, well, you know, we could do that, but yeah. there's also this chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like horrible because it's like leaves them hanging. I'd be like, yeah, flights are really expensive during January. You probably want to wait till... <laughs> You want to wait till whatever the debt and whatever we find out. Well, yeah, that's is. true. When is the deadline anyway? I, I looked that up. I looked that up, and I um, they didn't. They don't have like a a date whenever. Oh, really? At least not that I could find, which is frustrating because yeah. I don't know now. Now I don't know. It's just gonna be sitting around the house every day waiting for that email, and I'm never gonna know when it's gonna come in. You know? I mean, dude, if you think about it, we'd be like three weeks away from that gator hunt if we would have made that work right? Three or yeah, four weeks oh, yeah, away. Three, well, I, one of the hunts, a couple of the hunts I applied for, I think take place. Yeah. Some of the exotic hunts, I think take place late, uh, late, late uh, September. So that's coming up. So they, they have to give the results before too long. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I mean, if we're going to talk about any of those hunts and maybe like how we would approach filming it, would be that Paladora Canyon. Well, that, so gallop. that's where I was going with this before I, I figured went down you were. Rat, rabbit trail. <laughs> so you were talking about like, you were talking about like what you would do with this. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, <clears throat> if I were self filming, I would try my best to make a story out of it, but I do. And, and, and I would, if it were, if I were you, I, and it were me on that Hagerman hunt, which it could be if I could just call myself Corey and I'll just trade you spots. Um, but um I would try to have the documentation that you're doing already. Yeah. And then, but I would, when I make them, I would just, you don't have to <clears throat> change anything really, but just keep in mind, how could I do the documentation in the field and do it in a way where whatever I say could also be used later on in a short film. Right. And then I would just try my best to document everything that's happening during the hunt and make it, make it into some sort of short film. Even if it's like yep. a five minute short film, you know, that 
I mean, that is a short film. I, 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 if it were me, that's what I would do. But yeah. I also recognize it's so much harder to do that when self-filming. Um, when I used to self-film, I don't think I ever made a, you know, a, a really great story. I ended up just making highlight reels. Yeah. But on the flip side, if I were drawn on one of these group hunts with you and Hayden, like this Paladura Canyon hunt, that's a little bit different story. Because yeah. now, now we could film each other and do something really great. And so, for those of y'all listening to this podcast, um, hmm. one of the hunts we entered was this Paladura Canyon hunt. And if you don't know what Paladura Canyon is, it's this a beautiful, amazing place. I, I don't, Corey, I know you've never been there, but I've been there with Andy. We actually went to a wedding there. And it's a gorgeous state park. Um, and basically, you're driving in West, it's in West Texas, about two hours outside of Lubbock. And you're driving, and it's just all deserty and real West Texasy. And then all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, there's just like this massive canyon in the ground. And it's like this whole other ecosystem with mountains in it and canyons and coolies and just stuff like that doesn't even look like it's from Texas. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so beautiful. And the hunt is for Audad. And if we get drawn, it's unlimited Audad, which is still hard to wrap your head around yeah. for three days. And it's so intense that they make you, it's like a poor man. I call it the poor man's sheep hunt. It's so intense for a Texas hunt that they make you apply with no less than groups of two and up to groups of four. And you have to have a GPS because it's just so much, there's just nothing out there. Right. And so if we get drawn for that hunt, man, I mean, that's totally different than your Hagerman hunt. In which case we're not, instead of just documenting it, like we're going to have to go into that thing, making, making a film. Oh, there's, dude, there's no doubt. Um, and I've thought about that a lot too. Can you fly a drone in there? Is a state that, park? That's a good question. I actually don't know. I know like, I know in certain, certain national parks, if not all national parks, I don't know how that works, but I know in yeah. like, I know like when they film free solo, they couldn't fly drones. Um, I don't know if you've seen free solo yet. Yeah, but, I did. <laughs> yeah. How could you not? It's crazy. But I know like their final, their final shot when he, finally makes the climb that was all shot off helicopter because you could not fly drones there. Yeah. But I don't know about, I don't know about state parks like Paladuro. I know you I, can't something you, I have to look into. I know you can't fly drones in the Hagerman. They have signed actually signs up. You can't they do. Drones. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's super protected. Yeah. But did you, before we go any further on the Paladuro project, potential project, I call it a project. It could be yeah. something that we may not do 15 years from now. <laughs> we finally get drawn. I don't know. I, mean, I think, I feel like eventually, if we keep doing it, like eventually we're going to go there and like make that film. I just, I feel truly like do think that I really yeah. do. Cause that it's the odds of getting drawn are really not that bad. Yeah. But before we go down that path, when I was going to ask you on the Hagerman, did you have to get film permits to film there or did you have to talk to them about it or have you talked to them question. about it? I haven't talked to them. That's actually a really good question. That's something I would look into because I know like when I film in Alaska, I had to get film permits from um, the U. Who was it? I can't remember who it was. Might have been the USDA, actually. Okay. But um, I had to get different film. I had to get two different ones. I had to get one for when I was filming on the water, and I had to get that through like the Corps of Engineers or something like that. I can't remember exactly. And then when I was on National Forest Land, I had to get that through like USDA or something. I can't remember who it was. But I would check on the Hagerman and see it before you go out there with your camera and find that out. So the Hagerman is, I wouldn't be surprised actually now that you mentioned that. Um, it's crazy that like slipped my brain because I've been trying to like, <laughs> I did my bow and red, I did my, like all these things you have to do to qualify. 
it's federal land, um, which makes me think you might need a permit. Um, it is federal yeah. land, and it's you U.S. Might. It's U.S. Parks and Wildlife. Yeah, so. you might you might have to have a permit for that. I would check into that. I would probably call the office and tell them that you're, you know, you got drawn to hunt there and that you want to, you want to document your hunt and just film yourself, but that you wanted to check and see if that was okay. And then okay. find out to start that conversation. Cause I have heard horror stories of people who have gone in on public lands and self film without permits and gotten nailed big time. So, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of even the stuff I'm doing now, right? I mean, yeah, probably. Well, I'm not hunting, but like, not hunting. You would, I don't think they're going to like come after you for like filming yourself, like walking yeah. around at the park. Like I wouldn't worry about what you've done so far, but it feel like it's a little different when you're on the draw hunt and you're actually like really get doing it. it. If that I makes get sense. It. Because yeah. to me, what you're doing right now, like pointing a camera at yourself, like walking around in the woods and stuff, that's no different than picking up your phone and like yeah. filming yourself. I don't think they're going to say anything over that, but I would find out about actually filming the hunt. You know what I can, I can also, I'll ask them too, but I'll ask the guy that, um, there's a guy that created, um, if you go, if you go Google it, um, you know, go onto YouTube and, and type in Hagerman hunt. He's got the first two that come up. Um, and he killed a nice deer in there a couple of years ago. I ended up connecting with him on social media and he's like, yeah, I'll, so let me know. I'll, he gave me a cell phone number. He's like, you know, uh, if you have any questions, you know, reach out to me. So I haven't yet, but I'm, I end, I might end up asking him too, cause he did, you know, he, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but I mean, he created a film around it. So he did create a film. It, it is. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a film of his hunt. I mean, he doesn't have, um, you know, it isn't like a kill shot of the deer or anything like that, but he's filmed the deer. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a document. Yeah. Documentation. Kind of what you're thing, doing. So. Yeah, exactly. Did he, did he get it? Did he get an animal? He did. He shot a nice buck. Nice. Yeah. He shot on the third day, I believe. Um, and uh, actually, it was really cool. It was kind of raw footage too. Um, one of the one of the day, I think it was the second day, he ended up sitting in um, like a natural blind, and he had this old gnarly buck walk past him at like I don't know, I think six yards or something. Like walked right past him, and uh, he ended up not shooting it. It was kind of it was kind of funky rack, and he couldn't couldn't get a good shot at it anyway and then the next day he ended up shooting a nice deer so that's ah, so cool man yeah if you man, i'm so it, jealous he's, he's on there so it's pretty cool well with your luck so far i mean one for one i mean i feel pretty good about our paladero odds yeah <laughs> and yes. if we don't yeah, if we don't get that one then maybe we'll get the other one that i really want which is the uh one on devil's river yeah down by you know del rio area that one that was pretty intense too. That's the one where I told you I'd read online. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even say Dude. it with a straight face hardly, but these, these guys, because <laughs> it's unlimited exotics. I can't even. It's so ridiculous. They shot, they shot nine Audad and ten Corsican Rams. What? What? Dude, what do you do with nine Audad? Like, do people know what Audad is? Because I didn't know what Audad was. Audad's a sheep, man. I still don't really know what sheep. it is. <laughs> it's a sheep with a big beard. It is pretty big, they man. They shot nine of those freaking things. Like, this group, yeah. This group of like three nine? or four. I don't know. I Like nine Audad and, and the 10 Corsican <laughs> Rams, which are smaller, but still. And I'm convinced it's a three-day hunt. You're not going to sit here and tell me that those group of three, because you can apply up to a group of four. You're not going to tell me like those three or four guys packed out and <laughs> no. cleaned. What is that? 
19 different animals? No. <laughs> no, it just sounds stupid to say that. And what are they going to do with it? You and I were joking around. We're like, literally the first day, 10 minutes in, you put one on the ground, you're done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, Seriously. dude. I, maybe I'll hike around and see if yeah. I can find one that's bigger sure. or maybe a different exotic because it's unlimited exotics. But I, I'm not shooting 19 animals, dude. No. no. I mean, you better have – Yeti better bring like a Yeti truck for you to put all your stuff in because – Yeah. I mean, how are you going to – what are you going to do with the meat? I don't know. Is all that meat really good? I don't know. It might be one of those things where you, you cook it in a pan and throw the meat away and eat the pan. <laughs> I don't know. Dude. Maybe it's good. I don't know. I just, yeah, it yeah. is. It is. I mean, I know we're joking around about it, but in all seriousness, like who the heck can shoot nine animals? And then what do you like? I don't know. I mean, I would, it's an odd dad. Like I'd mount it probably. Right. Like you, you mount, it's like a once in a lifetime thing. Maybe. He's got so, nine to choose know. from. Yeah. He's got <laughs> nine to choose from. I don't know, man. Well, maybe I, he donated the rest to Bass Pro Shop. They're all over the nation. The that's, where all, that's where all the auto came from in the Bass yeah. Pros. <laughs> it's one guy. That's, a, that's uh, intense. So then I know like, I don't, I don't think you applied for this hunt with, with me, but one of the hunts I applied for was at Enchanted Rock, which is a state park I hike all the time. And they close down the park and you get to go hunt. And uh, I think, I think Enchanted Rock was the one where you could shoot five whitetails and it's just even that and i will i would shoot five whitetails i would because <laughs> yeah, you eat them all i'd eat every single one of them yeah of course yeah exactly dude i'd have i'd have deer everything <laughs> but i don't i don't know man they must have like a huge population if they can put the quota for five five deer five. so is it can you shoot five bucks no or is it like a like mix two or three or something like that it's a mix Jeez. Still though. Is that the place you were today where you stepped on the snake? No, that <laughs> Okay. You gotta I, tell I did, that story. I did see Come on now. Deer. I did see three deer at that place. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's this park. I, I think I think I pointed out to you maybe we drove by it one day when you're down at the film school, but there's this park called Purgatory and it's down in uh, San Marcos. It's like a I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know who runs the park, but it's awesome. It's like super wild, really great hiking trails, biking trails. Some of the biking trails, I don't know, man. I feel like you'd kill yourself trying to go down on them. It's pretty intense, yeah. but it's pretty cool. And so I like to hike. I like to hike over there. And when I get ready for fall hunting season, I always like to put weights, like a 25, 35, 45 pound weight in my backpack, my hunting, one of my hunting backpacks, mm -hmm. just hit the trails, man. Like, I love to run. I love to work out. I like to do medicine balls and mat drills and stuff, but I, I truly feel like one of the best ways to work out is to load your backpack up with more weight than what you're actually going to be carrying and just hit some hiking trails, man. Yep. And so I was doing that today, kind of just keeping in shape for fall, the upcoming fall season. And, uh, I was talking, my dad calls me, I was on the phone with him we we're just chatting, you know, and, and I step on something and it comes out from under my foot and I look down and I, there's this like three foot long snake, dude. Now dude. I don't know. It's like two and a half inches round. I don't know. I don't know what kind of snake it was. And I, I'm pretty good at identifying snakes, but this one, I mean, it was just, I saw it and I was gone. Like I ran wow. and I said, I said a few choice words with my dad on the phone and <laughs> normally I would not do that, but 
He, my dad hates snakes so once he didn't even so much he didn't even question it. He's like, "Get out of there!" <laughs> <laughs> I can picture that too. It was so like funny, that. man. Yeah, was it black? I, what color was it? You don't even know. I don't even know. I just Dude. looked down and I saw it. I saw it slither, and I was like, "Oh my effing gosh!" Yeah, snake. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. That's oh so yeah, good. Dude, it was, I hate snake. And the thing is, I the worst part is, I literally, as I was walking through the park, because I was there for an hour and a half hiking, and I was like, "I'm gonna see a rattlesnake today." And then mm. I was like, <laughs> it might have been, might have been. Dude. I mean, this. I mean, we have a lot of rattlers where I crazy, live. Crazy, dude. I hate have you seen so a bunch of rattlers down there? Your I've, seen a, I've seen a handful. Okay, yeah. so I have to say, now that we've said that, I have to say this. So I had a brief, like, 90-second meeting with a client, potential, actually not client, potential client, at Hunter's Extravaganza show this past Saturday in San Antonio. Uh, and Andy comes with me, my wife comes with me, and we're walking into the show, and we're walking over where the guy was, and she looks over, she goes, Josh, what, what is that? And we look over... And there's this guy chatting and he's sitting behind a desk at a, at a, at a, uh, on a chair and he's talking to people yep. and his desk is in a pit. And in this little pit was like 20 rattlesnakes. Yep. Saw it last year when you I was saw there. It last year. Yep. What the heck dude? Are they defanged? No, dude. He had, so check this out. So did he have it around his neck? I did not see that, but I did see this dude. There's like, no, like the, 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 the fence was only like three and a half feet tall. Yep. And there's like, and do like a kid could like stick his hand in it. Dude, they, they were doing, um, they were blowing up balloons and having the snakes strike the balloons to prove that they had fangs. That's so stupid. The guy literally was walking around with it around his neck, like a boa constrictor. And like you were, I would, I was cringing. I'm like, that thing's, and I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, it's gotta like, so I don't know if you can take the venom out of an animal, but like it, it's gotta be, but I don't know. Well, I don't even think if it was not, cause I he, mean, he, he kept saying how many times he's got, he's gotten bit. Like he, he was, the guy was actually showing us like different areas where he's gotten bit and had, um, had, um, what do they call it? What does it do? What does the venom do to your, your skin? rocks it away I don't yeah know. well there's a name for it but i can't think of it but yeah he was he was crazy i don't it, was, it has to be the same guy right oh yeah no doubt it has to be the same guy nobody else is that stupid no. <laughs> I don't, i'm just gonna call it what it is <laughs> so he was sitting at a desk he was sitting at a desk and he had all these snakes slithering around and like one and i don't know how i feel like they could climb out of that if they wanted to they're and all rattlesnakes right all rattlesnakes and this one yeah. kid he was there and with his parents and he was I mean, it's only like, it's like hog paneling or like chicken wire. I, mean, I guess it's chicken wire. Yeah. Just, just small enough where they just can't squeeze through. Yep. Which I'm still not convinced they can't. And this kid was hitting the chicken wire and aggravating this rattlesnake and he was rattling and sticking his tongue out. And Andy's like, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and watch that kid get bit. <laughs> Can you imagine a kid sticks his fingers through the, through the thing while the guy's doing his, doing his, uh, his taxes? Happen. He's sitting at his desk doing his taxes and a little kid reaches through. What the heck? It's so, it's so stupid. And the thing is, is like even let's, I don't know. I don't know enough about snakes to know if you can like take out the venom or not, but I do know this. My dad got bit by a, um, I think it was a keen snake whenever mm -hmm. he was a kid and he got super sick. It's a non-poisonous snake, but it was the, uh, it was the, um, or not venomous snake, but it was the, uh, what do you call it? Infection that got it. Bacteria or something. Yeah. The bacteria. So even if those snakes, 
couldn't give venom to someone like that still seems like a really sketchy situation dude i don't know man snakes are like a new world for me i, I told well i told you i ran into two cotton mouse this weekend over at the Hagerman, and the one was big like and i knew right away what it was like i knew i just knew what it was um that's the first one i've seen that's been a venomous snake i think and I don't know. It's just something about seeing a venom snake, knowing that that thing can really do some damage to you. <laughs> like, you know, I have snake boots. I mean, obviously it's this time of the year and stuff, but I also go, man, how high can they strike? Like, can he get my knee? <laughs> can he get my knee? Like if he wants to. Can dude. <laughs> I do don't know. It's really real. Like, like if I have snake boots on, is it really cool if I walk through this high grass or, or are they still going to get me? You know what I mean? Like it's just the things that go through your head. Yeah, but I will say this though, like as like as stupid as snake boots might sound, because they sound like I used to wear them, and I was like, I was the same way. I was like, dude, it's just gonna bite over my boot. Yeah. But then, but then you're on a hiking trail today with tennis shoes and shorts on, and you step on a snake, and you think, God, why do I have tennis shoes on? This is dumb. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and snake boots are designed. Obviously, they're high. Like they're designed for a reason. Now, Absolutely. have you ever gotten? Have you ever gotten, um, have you ever had a snake strike your boots while you had them on? No, I've had a snake strike. Um, I've had a snake strike at me and then I had, a, I did have a snake bite a pair of gloves once. It was a cotton mouth. I was pulling oh, wow. some out of a, out of a pond to get ready for the upcoming duck season at my parents' place. And one, one, it was a smaller, it was like a foot and a half long one, but those are the worst because they, the younger ones don't control their venom as much. And so they always say that the younger, the smaller the snake, the younger the snake, usually the worse they are. But it, uh, I just stuck my hand right where one was, and he was like, went right. What happened? Glove. Missed, he just missed my finger. Oh, he missed there. you? No, he got wow. my glove, but it, his fangs went in the glove and missed my finger. Jeez, you're lucky, man. I know, dude. I hate snakes. I've, had, I've ran into so many snakes over the years, it's just not even funny. Ugh. I literally, when I was working for Parks and Wildlife, I had an infection in my eyes, and I had to wear my glasses, which were not, they were out of date because <laughs> I normally wear contacts. Yeah. And I was walking through the woods with one of the, one of my bosses and we were going to check on a hog trap or something like that. And he just tackles me, just straight up tackles me. And I'm like, what are you freaking doing? And he looked up, he said, a cotton mouth. You were about to step right on it. And I didn't even know it. And they're everywhere, man. And in the swampy areas where you're going to be hunting at the Hagerman, you better hope it's cold spell by then because they're everywhere man so i mean they go dormant right like when it gets cold out right by then it should i should be good by then yeah but i'll i will say this one of the coldest duck hunts i've ever been on we were hunting in some cattails and it was me and my dad and a couple friends from college and um dad looks down and he's like dude there's a freaking cotton mouth and there it was. And it was so cold that it was ice in the water. But there was this cotton mouth and it wasn't moving, but it was in the water just looking at us. And so we kind of just stood there and looked at it for a second, not quite sure what to do. And it just wasn't moving. And we were like, this is kind of odd. And I don't know how it was. I don't know if it was like barely. I don't know how it was even staying afloat. I'm not quite sure. I haven't quite yeah. figured that out yet. But we got a stick and we started kind of moving it out of the way. And it led us. And we got that stick and kind of lifted it up and flung it onto the shore um, or onto the bank. And we got up there and started poking it with the stick and it, it started to move a little bit, but 
the point is, is that even if ice in the water, the snake was still out there. So mm -hmm. it wasn't able to move very much. I think it would have had a really hard time doing anything to us because it was so cold. I think it was like stiff or frozen almost, but it, uh, it proved to me in that moment that snakes still go. I mean, they're still out there even when it's cold out. So here's a question for you. Okay. It's really for me, but okay. more for you. Okay. If you were hunting the Hagerman in November, would you wear snake boots? Honestly, probably not. Okay. Sorry, I didn't probably plan not. on it, but no. if you would have said not, yes, not unless, said yes. not unless you're hunting near the swamps. Yeah, I probably, well, no, I probably won't be hunting that area. If you're not, because then you'll have cotton mouse and they're the mean ones. They're the ones you got to be careful of. But if you're not, if you're not near the swamps then I wouldn't worry about it. Cool. Done. Yeah, I don't want to be wearing snake boots in November. So about this hunt of yours, are you going to be running a uh, tree arm? Yeah. What are you going to be running? Man, so probably uh, probably a red red arrow. Is it red, red arrow? arrow? Yeah. You like it? Yeah, they're nice. They're light, really compact. Um, we ran muddies for a long time, but they're so clunky, and like you have to like strap them to your backpack, and like I don't know, it's just they're heavy and clunky, and they're great arms. I mean, they're great, but I think they're also when you're trying to self like. When your number one goal is to film in the tree, it's okay. But when your number one goal is to kill a deer and hunt, I think then you just got to like slim everything down. So I think probably the red arrow. I actually bought a, I bought a hawk last year and nobody ever talks about these hawk arms, but I didn't have one. When I moved here. Um, Dave kind of kept, not kept, but just kept his stuff there. And I was going to buy stuff when I moved to Texas and, um, Honestly, I didn't want to spend the money on a muddy right away. I was like, well, I don't know how much self-filming I'm going to do. So I'm just going to, I looked around and this hawk arm was out. And I don't, it's not terrible. I mean, it's not great. I mean, it's definitely not the quality of like a red arrow. I think, I think my opinion is I think they make the best one right now um, for like versatility weight. Cause it's like a, it's a, um, it's a really light aluminum versus the muddy the muddy, uh, the muddy ones are pretty heavy steel, I think, or not, they're probably aluminum also, but they're heavier. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So when I was getting into, when I was first getting into filming and I was self filming with a AX 2000 video camera, which is a fairly decent sized video camera. I ran the muddy hunter arm and I really mm -hmm. liked it, but I sold it several years back and I picked up, um, this is right before, I don't even know if, does money even still make camera arms? I don't know. I genuinely, I think they, know. I think they do. Yeah. I know that they don't make their biggest one that they used to anymore. Their boss hog or whatever their really big heavy one was, mm -hmm. but I picked one of those up. That's like three, three or four years ago because I was started running an FS seven. Yeah. My FS seven with my favorite, we'll get into my favorite lens for self filming here. Like yeah. My favorite lens is the Canon 28 to 300. And that lens on the FS7 kitted out with mics and everything is like, you know, it's like 16, 18 pounds. That's yeah, heavy. That's camera. heavy. Yep. Yeah, so <clears throat> I have to run the, the older muddy, the really heavy duty ones, like the boss hog or whatever. And you'll find that in, um, in your, in your tele, in the television shows you watch, the outdoor shows you watch, like the really good ones that are shooting with really high end cameras. I guess you don't have to be good to shoot with a high but when you're shooting with like a big camera like the fs7 or the f5 yeah um 
those cameras are going to have to be supported on a mud, big muddy. Yeah. And so that's what I run. And I've got three bases and I really like that because I can, I can strap them to multiple trees and just all I'm having to carry around is just the, just because the base is really one of the heaviest parts. So then yes. I'm just carrying around the, uh, the arm and the, the fluid head. And I find that not to be a big deal. That's and, a good point. Yeah. And, and dude, if you think about it, my Sackler tripod weighs like 10 pounds. So me just carrying around the, the, the arm and the fluid head is not a whole lot different than carrying around my 10 pound tripod. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. It does. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's a good point too. I think, um, everybody has different, you know, like different goals. I think it goes back to like when Dave and I started filming too, you know, we always said that like the guy that's filming his number one goal is to film like to document and to get the film. The hunter's job number one is to get the cameraman there, <laughs> get him into the woods because his focus is just to be hunting. So get him in and get him out, get him set up, get him like help him help him out, right? And it's different when you're that when you can, you know, when you have two guys, one guy's carrying all the camera gear too in most cases, and it's easier to take to take heavier stuff in. Um, so yeah, it just depends on what your goals are. If you're by yourself, you're with somebody else. It's a completely different ball game. No, I, I a hundred percent agree with that because if I was still self-filming, I'd probably would have just kept that money hunter. Cause I just really liked it a lot. Yeah. And it, and I could, you know, it was manageable for me, but, um, but yeah, now that, I mean, this is, since this has been my profession for quite a while now, like I'm a hunt, I'm a, I'm a, when I'm filming someone else, obviously I'm a video videographer first. So mm -hmm. I, I got to run that bigger stuff. Um, a couple of things I'll say, or anyone who is listening to this podcast who's looking for some self-filming tips. I don't know a whole lot about the camera arms that are out there today because, um, because I just run them. I run the one that I know will work for me. Yeah. I, I will, I will say this first off, I would steer clear of the ridiculous camera arm that I've seen. That is, I don't even know the name of it. Oh, I know what you're talking Hang about one or whatever, where it's got like the multiple arms and then the one that comes down and then yeah. like, cage or something it goes in it looks cool but mm. no way mm -mm. no how would i be caught in any way shape or form carrying that thing around yeah no not oh, at all i thought the same thing the only situation that would ever work is if you're trying to produce like the highest in show ever and you're <laughs> willing to have one tree and you go out there and you put that out at like the beginning of the season and you're never go take it out of that tree ever and you're only going to kill a deer out of that tree and that tree only yep <laughs> That's true. That is, that's the only time that I could ever see someone using. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. You, I think anybody else, and you, I'm sure you found this too, is like when you start filming, the number one thing I, could, I can comment on is if you can start filming and keep it as basic as possible in the beginning. Because, dude, when we started filming, we were taking every lens, every, like everything oh, went yeah. into the pack. Oh, in yeah. fact, I think both of us were taking camera gear in and like the hunter was even taking camera gear in, dude. It was crazy. <laughs> and of course we didn't have the right packs at that time either, right? Like you didn't have the right stuff to hold everything. Dude, it's like you open up the pack and you're like digging in there trying to find stuff and like just keep it simple um, yeah. because you really can overcomplicate it. And Oh yeah, you can. 
Yeah. 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 No. Sim- simplicity is bliss. Like my Pakistan project, even with all my equipment I had, I didn't take the drone. I didn't take the slider. I didn't yeah. take the gimbal. I didn't take my FS seven. I just got the basic. I took one tripod, some microphones, a few lenses, and a couple cameras. And that was it. And dude, it was it turned out great. I kept it simple, manageable, and uh, and that was it. So I think yeah. I think like and that was a that was a. I mean, I got paid quite a bit to go do that project, and that was it. I mean, I, I it was a simple simple setup. Yeah. So self filming, I would be even simpler. But on that note, some other th- tips I have for anyone who's looking for like a really good self-filming lens, if you want to use an interchangeable ca- lens uh, camera, I highly recommend the Canon 28 to 300. You could either adapt it to Sony, which is what I would do, or you can run it native on a Canon, or you can adapt it to Panasonic. But if you if you will put that camera on like an A7S or A7 mm-hmm. III, that lens, I mean, that, that lens... You can run it in full frame mode and have 28 millimeters in the wide end, or you, and you could put it in crop mode and zoom all the way out to 300 millimeters. And in crop mode, that 300 millimeters will give you a 450 millimeter wow field of view. So now you have tw- basically a 28 to 450 millimeter lens, which is massive. <clears throat> and the image stabilization on that is so much better than even the in-body image stabilization in most cameras. Like it's so good. And so having that on like a tree, tree arm or a tripod when you're zoomed out, that image stabilization is so good that it will really help you overcome any little minor shakes and stuff you have. Then on top of that, the manual focus on it is really, really good. I think a lot of people think like an expensive lens is only expensive glass, but that's only part of it. There's a lot of other factors. And one of them is how well you can manual focus a lens and the focus the manual focus on higher end lenses typically works a lot better for for pulling focus and the 2300 has got an awesome manual focus and it's an expensive lens it's like 2450 bucks but you don't have to buy it yeah you can go i've looked it up online because um you you know a lot of people i recommend a lot of people you can rent that for a week for less than 200 bucks yeah, from lensrental.com. So if you got a project coming up or you got a, a hunt you got drawn for like you and the Hagerman and you're looking for a really good all-in-one lens that you can pack in and um, and it's kind of heavy. It's like a, it's a little bit heavier than a 7200. It's like three pounds or three and a half pounds, but it's manageable, right? Yeah. You can carry it in with your camera and now you've got a 28 to 450 millimeter lens. It only costs you 200 bucks to rent it for a week-long trip and you got great image stabilization, great image quality, and a great manual focus. So if you're looking for a great all-in-one lens to self-film, like I, I can't think of a better lens than that. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that, man. Any issues when you adapt that lens? Or I mean, you're not going to have good autofocus for video. Yeah. For, for photos on the newer cameras like the a7 III, a7R III, even the a7R II to some extent, you can get decent autofocus for photography. Okay. But um, for video, you're going to be manually focusing it. But honestly, like for a, for a, for a lens like that, I would want a manual manual focus anyway. So like that doesn't to me that's not really a problem. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's super easy to manual focus. Another thing I like about it is it's what's called a push pull lens. So instead of zooming with the zoom ring, you push it in or push it out. It's mm-hmm. got a, it's got a little hand. Um, spot for it and so when you have your hand on the lens you can push 
the zoom and focus at the same time because where you're pushing at is where the focus ring is. So you can be zooming and focusing. So if you, if you're filming a deer coming in and you're zoomed in on it, you can pull the focus or the zoom out and, and, and zoom out of the deer to get a wider shot all while keeping your hand on the focus ring the whole time. That's huge, man. It's really That's, that's cool huge lens. when you're self filming. Yeah. Huge. Really, really cool lens. Yeah. So there's a lot of things I like about it. I like if I could only own one Canon lens, like if I had to own a Canon lens, like that would be the one to own. And I, I actually got rid of that lens several years ago, but I'm actually about to re rebuy it. Cool. Yeah. It's a fantastic, it'll be the only lens I'll adapt, but it's an outstanding lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to know, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you speed boost it on a camera like the FS7 or FS5, you can get a, you can turn it into like a, an even better lens for low light. So it's a really great lens. Some other things I recommend, are sure. you going to be wearing a wireless mic? Yeah. I definitely recommend that wireless mic, man, was game changing for self-filming. Yep. allows you to really document everything. Don't rely on a shotgun mic. Yep. Um, and other than that, man, just pack light and bring lots of snacks. Nobody well, that, your stomach that's, on the film. that's one thing we're good at is snacks, man. So eating constantly all day, keeping energy up. Cause no, in all seriousness though. And I think this is a tip. If a tip and a, a more of what I think guys don't realize a lot is that how tiring it is to sit all day in the stand. Oh, you think you're just sitting so there tiring. two things, one drink water. Cause when you're sitting there, you don't realize it, but you get dehydrated more than you would even imagine. So get dehydrated and dude, sitting in a stand all day or even half a day, it's exhausting just sitting oh, there yeah. because your mind is constantly working. It's always shifting. Is that a deer? Is that a deer? Is that a deer? Is that like, it's constantly working. So you get really tired, which is why you have to keep fueling your body all day. No, I a hundred percent agree with that. Like I basically, when I, I say, when I go hunting, I'm basically going napping and I hunt occasionally while I'm there. Cause I, I fall asleep in the tree stand. I'm yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I knew of a TV show. I had a, I had a guy I know that had a TV show and he said he, he fired a, a guy one time, a videographer for falling asleep with him. And I was like, well, dude, I wouldn't last five minutes. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Thanks no, buddy. Man, yeah, I won't ever take a job with you. Cause there's just no way. I'll yeah. Just... We, whatever, dude, you were probably like, how could that guy do that? How could he fall asleep? <laughs> You're like, why I would he do did, that? I probably did say that, but what in the a slacker, I would have been asleep too. Probably faster than yeah. that guy. I don't know, man. Well, dude, I feel like uh, I feel like we covered some good ground, man. I'm a uh, I'm pretty fired up. I yeah. I think you were planning on buying or renting a GoPro too, because you don't have yeah. one. Do you? I don't, and I was gonna buy one, and you're like, well, maybe you want to wait because you yeah. want to something that nobody yeah, else does. Yeah, some of the some of the new rumored specs of the GoPro Hero Eight looks pretty sick. Definitely yeah. waiting and seeing. Yeah, video. I'll either buy one or I'll rent one. So yeah, yeah I'm in. I'm in kind of the I mean, like I have a whole list of stuff I want, you know what I mean? You've been, I, you, if you can remember back to those days when you're starting to build your back to those days, dude, you should see my, you should see the multiple wish lists I have. Oh, that's true. Each photo. It's bad on a higher level. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, man, about that. it's like, no, this is a priority. No, this is a priority each day. It, everything switches and it's oh, like, man, I need 100%. to get this. It's like, dude, yeah. I need that tomorrow. So I'm not going to be able to uh, make a good story. Like, I don't know how I did it in the past because there's no way I can make a film without this thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm trying to, I'm just trying to figure out how I can get a slider in the tree. 
Oh my god, dude. You and those sliders. You imagine putting a slider on a tree arm? <laughs> That'd be the dumbest thing. It would be if so anybody stupid. would do it, it would be you. You know, I'd do it and then like a deer would come in and I'd go to draw back my bow and I'd clank it against the against the slider and that would be the end of it. Or it would like <laughs> slide and like cattywampus everything or the electric know. slider. Electric oh slider from gosh. above. It could put above me. I saw one time, that makes me think of one time I saw this guy posted on Camel Cameras doc, uh, or no, Camel Cameras Facebook page. I'll never forget this. This guy, he posted a photo of him in a tree and he had eight cameras in the tree pointed at him. <laughs> so good. Or I guess he had like six pointed at him and like two pointed at the deer. But he's like, Check out my eight camera setup. It's an editor's dream. And some guy commented and said, more like an editor's nightmare. I was going to say, how is that a dream? <laughs> I was just like, bro, I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking you're going to accomplish there, but I, I would do. There's just no way. It's, Dude. First off, how do you get them all in there? <laughs> it was a dream for him because he didn't have to edit it and he was handing yeah. it off to an editor. Now, if he had to edit it, it would not be good. Yeah. I'll never forget that, man. Like I just think about that all the time. I wish I had, I wish I could go back and find that picture and turn it into a meme. Cause it, oh, that'd be so it, funny. It's deserving of that. Can you imagine trying to figure out how to use eight camera angles? Like oh, wait, when wait, do you dear, hang on one second, it. dear. I got to turn all eight of these on and hit record on all of them. It's so good. bad. I, yeah, it's, it's, bad, dude. it's really bad. All right, oh, man. Yeah, dude. Hey, man. I really, I had a good time, man. This is yeah. a fun chat. Totally off we the did cuff, it. but that—that's what makes it good. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We could keep talking. I'm sure we'll do. Have to do another one. Oh yeah. And you're gonna. Uh, I. You know, the worst part about your trip coming up is I'm gonna be in Alaska while you're. I know. Trip. You're not gonna be able to talk yeah. to me about it. I thought you were kidding, and you're serious. Like you're gonna be out, out of commission. I am. Well, I'm gonna try to pick up a. Uh, one of those um, Garmin inreaches. I have to because every everywhere I go, oh, everyone yeah. has an inreach but me, and I n- I'm never I'm always a guy who can't communicate with anybody. And I'm and this past trip when I was in Alaska, it's like that's it. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully I'll have a Garmin inreach by then, and if I do, I'll I'll shoot you some. Well, dude, it could be maybe you don't do that, you know? Because maybe you step off the plane, and you start to get service, and the first thing you see is a picture of me sitting behind a 250 inch deer from the Hagerman. <laughs> or the first thing I see when I step off the plane is you in a hospital because you got snake bit. Oh, come on. <laughs> Stop. I'm just playing, man. I'm nope. excited for you. I'm pretty sure everybody that's following this uh, this podcast would probably be pretty excited to see your update. So yeah. um, tell, tell them how they can find you. So we're doing everything on the Rooted Outdoors YouTube page and then our Facebook page. So uh, it's just Rooted Outdoors on Facebook, Instagram, and also YouTube. And that's where we have, we also have a podcast there. So you can go there and see our video podcasts there. And then, um, a couple of the films that we've done. So we're working on a, um, we did our Turkey youth hunt this year and we're working on putting together a pretty cool film on that. And, um, I'm pretty excited about it. So that should be done. We're trying to get that done in the next couple of months. And then, um, we have a couple films and stuff on there, short films we've created and things like that. So that's where most of our stuff is YouTube. So nice, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate it, man. I love, love talking to you and love podcasting and it's 
been fun. Oh yeah. Well, this is what we've been on three different podcasts together. So this, I'm pretty sure there'll be many more to come. Yeah. We're going to have to have a post, a post Hagerman one. Oh, for sure. And then for For sure sure. one for each and every draw hunt we get picked for this year. Yeah. It'll be 35 more of these. (laughs) I'm sure everybody will love love that. (laughs) They're going to know everything about you and me. (laughs) You're going to have to change the name of your podcast. Something, something about draw hunts. Corey and Josh. (laughs) Filming draw, filming Texas draw hunts. Filming will be the name of it. There you go. We need to work on that name a little bit. Maybe we could do a podcast from the Canyon live from the canyon we're coming from you from coming to you from paladuro canyon yeah. we're lost naked and afraid sitting behind 16 odd dad <laughs> 16 odd dad we got him down but we don't know what we're gonna do from here no idea oh man all right man well i appreciate your time man i uh for those of y'all who want to find out more information um about the filming with josh page be sure to Go to Filming with Josh at uh, on Facebook or check it out under my website at rusticriver.media. And if you ever have any questions about self-filming, any further questions of what we talked about today, or questions about Texas snakes getting lost in Paladero Canyon or anything like that, <laughs> shoot me an email at josh at rusticriver.media or feel free to shoot me a PM on any of my social media sites. You can uh, check out my... Um, newly revised i went on instagram and cleaned up my um my feed to make sure that i i had nothing i'm trying to make my instagram more of a gallery these days so go ahead and check that out at rustic underscore river underscore uh, media and uh, thanks for listening to this podcast i look forward to the next one and uh stay tuned guys we'll come to you as uh as we as we follow up with Corey and and uh what he does the rest of this year man so appreciate you joining the podcast yeah man and, uh, thank you so much Yeah, can't wait till next time. See you guys later. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.